I'd like to ask you to turn to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2, 1 to 12. Wise men still joyfully worship Jesus as king. Wise men will still joyfully worship Jesus as king as uh, the wise men we see in here today. Uh, if you know Vic Doss from uh, Watkinsville, the college pastor there, you've heard him speak of King Jesus. Uh, I love it when he talks about the Lord Jesus, he calls him King Jesus. And I think MacArthur says that that's pretty typical of Matthew. We're in our third sermon on the book of Matthew. And uh, Matthew sees Jesus as sovereign. Mark sees him as servant, really. Luke sees him as a son of man. John sees him as the son of God, but he's sovereign. He's king. And, uh, and that's what uh, we hope to see here again today. Matthew chapter 2, um, 1 to 12. Let me read that for us, and uh, we will pray and get busy on this uh, just phenomenal passage. So excited for this opportunity to think together on, on these great verses. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him and assembled all the chief priests and the scribes of the people. He had inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are by no means least among the rulers of, Ju of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way and behold the star they had seen when it rose, went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. And they fell down and they worshiped him. And then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And, they, and being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful um, for the exceedingly great joy that you have brought to us because of your Savior, because of our Savior and your Son, as you did for the wise men. And Lord, today, Father, I pray that uh, anyone in here who has not experienced um, that great joy um, would leave change, that you would do that great work of regeneration on their heart. And Father, for each of us who do know you already, we pray that we would um, be less distracted, that we would um, look to our King Jesus uh, in a greater way than we ever have before. Um, so Father, we're very grateful 
uh, for this opportunity to um, open your word. We pray that uh, as we meditate on it day and night, that you would um, work um, in a phenomenal way in our hearts uh, and let the words of our mouth and the meditation of our heart be pleasing in your sight. And we commit uh, this time to you now and ask that you would use it for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. I think um, we need to start with maybe three non-points. I always like it when Scott starts with bonus points. always feel like you're getting something extra when he brings in a bonus point or two. And when Mark leaves, we go completely off the script and we need to go with some non-points. These things are not what the passage is really about. And I think there's sermons that are about these things and they're probably interesting, but I think we need to be careful not to miss the main point here. Um, how many times have we heard, if you listen to Alistair Begg, you hear him say, the main points are the plain points. The main points are the plain points. And there are some plenty of plain points in here. These three are not them. Uh, one is the details about the Magi. How many were there? Where are they from? How did they know all they know about Jesus? The song says there were three. I don't, we don't know that there were three. John MacArthur says there were somewhere between two and 12. I read one guy thought there were 14. So there's, I don't think we know that there's three even if the song says that. They might have been Medes. Um, they might have known kind of what to look for from Daniel 700 years ago. Um, Daniel and the Jews that were in that area one pastor called these guys kingmakers. They were theological scientists, maybe. You could call them scientific theologians. Either way would, would probably work. Astrologers, probably they're an important guys. We know, that, uh, we know that for sure. What we do know is important here, though, is that God sovereignly and graciously moved on their hearts in such a way that they came... And they sacrificially worshipped the Lord Jesus. That is what we know for sure. And then, for us today, God purposely puts it in Scripture so that we will sacrificially and joyfully worship King Jesus as well. That's what we know for sure. Secondly, um, the star and the details about the star. You can listen hours to uh, people talk about the details of this star. His star, interestingly enough, right there in verse 2, they call it his star. I guess all the stars you could say are his, but this one certainly is a, um, a special one, but it's not the main point. And I think it's earned a uh, non-point status. There's probably between 4 and 44 different theories on what this star might be concerning uh, maybe a supernova, Saturn and Jupiter, maybe it was Neptune, might have got together, Leo was involved somehow. You got all of these different theories, but let's not get bogged down by that. The main point's this, and I don't really think this is controversial. Our Lord, our sovereign Lord, prophesied that a star would come in Numbers 24, 17 through Balaam. Of all people, kind of interestingly enough, supernaturally then, he positioned it in a way that led these guys maybe 800 miles 
from where they were in the east, these wise men led them to Jerusalem, disappeared for a little bit, it seems, we don't know how long, and then led them in the six miles to get from Jerusalem to Bethlehem. That is certainly supernatural no matter how you slice it. And then what we know is that then it's recorded in Scripture. Why? To inspire the rest of us to worship King Jesus. That's what we know for sure. And then um, finally, and, uh, and thirdly here, what about the, chronolog the chronological order of this? Alistair Begg says that in our minds, sometimes the whole Christmas story sometimes seems like it ha kind of happens in one day, doesn't it? Maybe the Lord Jesus is born about 6, and then 6.15 the angels show up, and they tell the shepherds in Luke 2, like Ian read for us, and then about 9.30 the wise men show up and give them gold, frankincense, and myrrh, and everybody's got their little time slot, and then it's kind of over. Um, but we don't know. We don't know how long that happened. We know that um, we don't know how old Jesus was when the wise men got there. It was some time. Anyway, once again, the main point is that the angels, the shepherds, the wise men, they all joyfully worshipped this newborn king. And um, what else do we know? We know that today we get it in Scripture so that we also could worship uh, this newborn king. So what are the really the, 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 the real points here? What are the things that we really need to get after today? Well, we see different responses, don't we? Um, and you probably caught that even as we were reading those 12 verses. Herod, he is hostile and, uh, and probably ultra hostile toward toward this new king. There is no room for two kings in his mind. Secondly, the, scribe, the, the high priests and the scribes, those guys are just indifferent. We'll see that. Um, and then the wise men, they have a great outlook on what's going on here. Joyfully and just as thrilled as they can be, going to worship uh, this newborn King. So let's look at Herod. Let's read chapter 2, 1 to 8, one more time, just because it's too good to miss out on and looking for some specific things here. Now, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? Now, these guys would have been Gentiles. Remember a couple weeks ago when Scott preached on the, chronologi on the uh, chronology, is that how you say that? The, yeah, exactly. That there were at least those two women that he talked about, um, Rahab and Ruth, that were also Jews. You see, these guys are going to bring back the gospel to the nations, right? They're going to go back east. And they're going to be, so you kind of see bookends in, in Matthew, don't you? You see chapter 1 and chapter 2 here that these Gentiles are coming. They become enthralled and thrilled with the Lord Jesus. Um, truly, it seems, true believers, both Tyler and Matthew Henry say so. And those guys have really now gone and taken the gospel to the nations, haven't they? They've gone back east. 
Just like we would see in, in Matthew 28 at the end of Matthew. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. And so that starts right here. Um, and we see that in these wise men. When Herod and the king heard this, he was troubled. And all Jerusalem with him. And the assembly of the chief priests and scribes of the people he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. Herod. He is quite a vile man. It's hard to describe it any other way. He ruled from 37 to 4 BC. So he is not far from his death right here. And Herod is troubled in verse 3. And when he is troubled, all Jerusalem is troubled. He's probably an Edomite. Uh, a real power monger. He killed, like listen to this description. I mean, he killed his favorite wife. It made you think, wonder what his other wives, they had to feel a little bit squeamish at that point. Uh, killed other relatives, in-laws. It looks like three of his children. He was just super paranoid. Um, and this is the same Herod that built the temple, other elaborate projects. Um, and so he was um, a vile... Listen to this to get an idea of what he was like. Before he dies, um, he finds... He knows he's going to die, and he knows nobody's going to mourn when he dies. So he gets very important people around Jerusalem. He rests them puts them in jail, and then has them killed when he dies so that everybody will mourn. It's kind of a, you just say, that's way out there, isn't it? And so you see at, uh, well, let's look at this. This is a, a, a kind of a, um, what we're going to look at next week, but look at verse 13. Now, when, in chapter 2, now when they had departed, Behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and he took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet out of Egypt um, I called my son, and when Herod, when he, then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and he killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old and under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. So you just see his brutality and how hostile he is toward Jesus. He, and I think we remember, you might remember Mark, uh, teaching on this once he realized that there was not room for two kings in town and he was not willing to give up his being king of of the whole area and being king of the of his life and you know i would say how true is that really of all of us before we came to christ where we wanted to run our own life and we did not believe that there was room for two kings. And there isn't. 
Either you're going to love the one and hate the other or hate the one and love the other. We are only to worship the Lord Jesus. And uh, you can see from verse 3, when he's troubled, everybody in Jerusalem's troubled. It seemed like he was probably pretty skilled at sharing the misery. He looked to put out fires in a hurry in the most brutal way, and he was going to do that by killing Jesus. And in order to do that, he kills all the little guys under two years old. Probably not a huge number of them, under 100 because it's a small town, maybe between 10 and 30 somewhere. But nonetheless, you get the idea that he would have killed 10 to 30 million of them had it meant that he could have killed the Lord Jesus. And so um, a brutal man, hostility is certainly one response we see that Herod has toward Jesus and that uh, some people have toward Jesus. Probably none of us have met someone as vile as this man, I, I would venture to say. But from Romans 8, 7, and this is so sad, we know that truly everybody's response until the Lord regenerates us, we're hostile to God. Those who want to live according to the sinful nature are hostile to God. They don't submit to God's law. Indeed, they cannot. Those who want to please the sinful nature cannot please God. They can't. And so I think it would be true that all of us, before we knew Christ, are way more like Herod than we are like the wise men. Herod knew that there wasn't room for two kings. Remember, Satan has blinded the mind of the unbeliever. So they can't see the glory of Christ. And God has freed us up so that we can clearly see and joyfully worship him continually like the wise man. So like Herod, the unbeliever might know that Jesus is king. I think the unbeliever does know oftentimes that Jesus is king. But to them, it threatens their own rule. It threatens them being king of their own lives. And um, we can truly be thankful today, can't we? That we understand how miserable and terrible we were at running our own lives. Can you think back before you knew Christ? Those weren't good days. Those were days of, uh, of great unrest. But we can rejoice in our Lord Jesus today, knowing that his kingship no longer threatens us, but now it gives us opportunity to thoroughly submit to his lordship. And then that in turn floods us with the love and the joy and the peace of Christ that only he can bring. Look at the contrast between the joy. When you hear Herod, does he sound like a man of joy? Not at all. There is no joy in his life. But then look at the wise men, and we'll touch on that in a second. We've been freed from that hostility, haven't we? We've been freed from that. And now we get a worship uh, the true King Jesus. So Herod, he was hostile, but the chief priests and scribes, look at this, they were just plain apathetic. They, at this point, aren't hostile, it doesn't seem, but they just don't care. Look at verse 5. Um, Herod has asked them, he inquired of them, where was, well, so let me start in four, the assembly of all the chief priests and scribes of the people he inquired of them, Herod inquired of them, where the Christ was to be born. They know. Isn't that interesting? 
These guys are studied up. They know. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. They not only know, they can quote Micah 5, right? They know it well. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And so Herod was hostile, but the chief priests and scribes were just apathetic. They knew where the baby was to be born. They could quote Micah 5. We see no evidence that they wanted to make that little jaunt for six miles and go see him. Right? The wise man, I think, somebody, one of the commentators said they may have been in Jerusalem kind of asking questions. Where do we find? Where do we find Jesus? Where do we find King Jesus? And no one seems to know. Or worse yet, maybe no one even cares much. And these guys do know, once he got this far, they, the, the wise men, they do know, but it just seems like they have no interest. Now listen, though. What happens to them in the next 33 years? Do they remain just apathetic? I would argue not really, right? Because when Jesus is 30, those guys become his main nemesis. They become hostile to the Savior, right? To the degree where they kill him, they crucify him. And so the idea of just being sort of wishy-washy, kind of being apathetic, and maybe that's where you're at today, that you just don't, you just don't really care. That is a dangerous place to be because certainly that can lead to a hostility. I don't think we always just stay there. It's not a good place to be even if we do just stay there. And so this group might represent some of us. Do you know that he's king or are you just maybe not very interested? I think of two tragic stories that come to my mind. It's kind of from my own experience. One was uh, after I broke my neck playing football, I had a really great physical therapist, but he didn't know the Lord. Just a, a great man, though. Uh, super fun. Probably 5'8 and 240 pounds but he would call himself Cool Breeze. This just gives you an idea because he liked to play basketball and he gave himself like the name Cool Breeze, which I don't even know what that meant. But that this guy was, thought, it, it was just everybody knew him and loved him, just all around town. And, uh, and, and my friend and I, he was a mutual friend, uh, we thought, and I, I, I would admit, we just haven't done this near often enough, but we took him to the nicest restaurant we could find in our area, which isn't super nice, called Chances Are and asked just to talk to him about the gospel. And he was super pleasant, like he always was. He listened to us. He said, wow, that seems like great for you guys. He said, well, you know, are you, are you interested? Do you need the Savior? He's like, no, I'm, all, I'm really all right. I'm all right, just like I am. Well, six or eight years later, probably, we were already moved down south. Um, my mom calls me and said, Howard died during the night. And um, she went to his funeral. And in, in all of his apathy, they, 
she, she said it was probably the saddest funeral I've ever been to. They played the Nebraska fight song at his funeral. He had worshipped all kinds of other things besides Jesus and went to hell because of his apathy, because he just did not care. He just didn't realize his need for the gospel. I think of another probably equally tragic story of a girl came to our youth group in, in Myrtle Beach, and uh, she told us, she said, uh, about a month earlier, they had evangelized in a grocery store. It was a kind of a youth group project, and it wasn't in our youth group, but a different youth group had taken and went to a grocery store to tell people about Jesus. And uh, they had met a man, 60-something, maybe 70, she thought, and uh, had shared the gospel with him, similar to Howard. He had just said, you know, kind of thanks for telling me, but I'm, I'm fine like I am. He went around the corner and fell over and died. Like less than a minute, she said, after she had rejected the gospel, the man had rejected the gospel. Maybe 45 seconds. And you just say, oh, what tragedy there is for those who put off the opportunity to know the Lord Jesus. So these men um, knew plenty. They knew about Christ, but they were apathetic toward him. Don't ignore the king. Don't ignore King Jesus. He's king. Whether we acknowledge that or not, wouldn't it be this Christmas that you would put your hope in King Jesus? Wouldn't it be the Christmas to enjoy his kingship rather than to ignore it? These men grew not just more apathetic, but hostile to the Savior. They grew a little bit more like Herod to, um, to our Lord Jesus. And then thirdly, and this is just such great news. You need to see the way the wise men respond. Look at verse 9. After listening to the king, um, let me start at 8. And, uh, and he sent them to Bethlehem. This is Herod. Sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. Well, what we know about Herod is that's not true at all. Obviously, he wants to find him to kill him. But he says, he tries to put it in a good light. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen, when it rose, went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. Now, I never knew this until yesterday. But, and maybe everybody knows this except me until yesterday, but this star, it sounds like it appeared twice, right? Like it took them from the east to all the way to Jerusalem, and then it seems like it disappears a little bit. I'm thinking if I'm one of the most pessimistic wise men, I'm saying, uh-oh, I wonder what happened. We lost the star. What, what do we do? So that's why they're asking around Jerusalem, possibly. Uh, Herod hears about it. Ask the, the um, high priests and the scribes. And so, and then, they, and then he gets invited, they get invited to the palace. 
and they find out it's Bethlehem. So all of a sudden the star comes again. My favorite verse out of all 14 of these is verse 10. How thrilling is verse 10? Look at what it says. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. When they saw the star, so the star left, it seems, for a little bit, and then it reappeared. They had great joy. I love the, what uh, Piper says. He says, uh, now this is a quadruple way of saying they rejoiced. It would have been much to say they rejoiced and more to say they rejoiced with joy. More to say they rejoiced with great joy and even more to say they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. What was all this joy about? They were on their way to see the Messiah. They were almost there. I cannot avoid the impression that the true worship is not just describing authority and dignity to Christ. It is that. But it is doing this joyfully. It is doing it because you have come to see something about Christ that is so desirable that being near him to ascribe authority and dignity to him personally is overwhelmingly compelling. Is that overwhelmingly compelling to you today? Have you found Jesus? And has he brought you such joy? These guys now know where he is in this star supernaturally parks right over the house. It's a house. It's not the manger anymore, right? In verse 11, and going into the house, they saw the child with, his, with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. And then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. And so you would have to think, these guys had some joy robbers that would have robbed them of joy. They just came 800 miles. That would rob anybody of joy. That's probably 40 days of walking. That can't be much fun. No one else seemed to be interested in Jerusalem. Wouldn't that rob you of joy? I have to admit, if I'm around unbelievers very long, I, I'm tempted to, my joy starts, I, I work at a place where I'm around believers, and, but I admire you guys deeply that work at some place where, where you're not surrounded by believers and that you can still represent our Lord so well and let your light shine before men so that others can see your good deeds and bring glory to our Lord in heaven, to let that joy continue to shine. But I would think that would have been um, kind of a joy robber. That didn't seem like anybody in Jerusalem was very interested. The only one that was interested was Herod, and he was interested for a whole wrong reason. And so I, that had to do it. How about Herod himself? He's an expert at being a joy robber. So then what did bring him joy? They, they, were, they saw what they were waiting for. That no matter how they knew all they knew, they knew that this star was bringing them to the Messiah. That this star was bringing them to Jesus. So what brought them joy? It was that they met King Jesus. They found him 
because God made it completely clear. Put the star right over the house, right? God's the one that orchestrated all of that. And what's their response? Their response is two things. These were from Matthew Henry. I thought they were really good. First of all, they gave themselves. They bowed down. They didn't bow down to Herod. He's called king. They didn't bow down to Herod that we saw, but they bowed down to the Lord Jesus. They gave themselves. Verse 11. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and they worshiped him. They gave themselves. And secondly, they gave their gifts. Once we give ourselves, we will joyfully and eagerly want to give whatever is dearest and most valuable to us. And those of you who know Christ know that to be true. That everything becomes his. And when the treasure of heaven is in our heart, that will help us to keep a very loose grip, a very loose grip of the treasures that are in our hands that really are not much treasures at all. So there's an expression of quadruple joy here. When you go back to that verse 10, and this is just so good, when they saw the star, they were rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Is that you? Is that me today? Are we rejoicing exceedingly with great joy because we know the Savior, right? We've, we've met him, and, and he is our... I think about uh, Mark last week. Remember verse um, Emmanuel. Where is it? There it is, 23. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God is with us. God is with us. And that brings exceeding joy. What are some of the things that can rob us of joy? Maybe it's just the busyness of life. Maybe it's even good things like all of the, the, our family coming over and all those things that are really good, but we get kind of stressed out and we get a little bit distracted. And pretty quick, we're not joyful we're just persevering to get through Christmas. And that's not the way it should be. Right? Let your light shine this Christmas. Let's really show people the joy of Christ. These guys had exceedingly great joy. And they knew that even if no one else was interested, I guess this quote was from Matthew Henry. Too. I thought it was great. He said, if they will not go with us to heaven, we're still not going to go with them to hell. If they won't go with us to heaven, we're still not going with them to hell. That is the idea, is that we have a great joy to show people. And that it's an inexpressible and a glorious joy just as... Um, the wise men had. So, could it be that we need to sort of reevaluate even how we're going to do this next week or two or our whole life and be a bit more like 
the wise man. The wise man still earnestly and joyfully worship Jesus as king. Is that where we're at? And the joy that goes with that is that obvious to everybody else so that they may worship um, with us. Let me pray. Gracious Father, as we come before you, I'm so grateful for this great joy that you've given us. Like the wise men, we are so thankful that you regenerated our hearts and have given us the faith to believe the gospel. And then through the Holy Spirit has flooded us with love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. And Father, so often maybe we, um, we don't exhibit these as we, we could or we should, especially through this um, Christmas season. So Father, as we have opportunities, maybe different than we get in the rest of the year, we pray that we would interact well with those who need a Savior, maybe those who are apathetic or even hostile uh, to the gospel. I pray that they would see our joy. Um, Lord, I pray that um, we would not be distracted uh, by the cares of this world, by the riches that we somehow hold on to. I pray that we, like the wise men, would with open fists, open hands, Get open up the fist that uh, holds on to things so tightly and instead give. Even like the gold, frankincense, and myrrh as the, um, the wise men gave. And Father, we pray that uh, because of this time in your word, our thoughts um, would be more like your thoughts and our ways more like your ways. And we would represent you well for the sake of the gospel in Jesus' name. Amen.